It's me and Linda. We're it's back. Linda and me. This is Doable Discipleship. Also called the show that helps you grow. A Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God. This is going to be a fun, fun episode. Super excited. Linda, we just jumped right into it last week, but I feel like we need to kind of let the listeners get to know you a little bit because after this Jason's back from vacation oh man it might be I don't know a couple months before you're back on the show again it's going to be sooner rather than later because you've been doing such a a good job well thank you and as with anything once we figure out you're really good at something we make (laughs) you do a lot more of it well that is awesome I'm super excited to be here what do you love most about being on the spiritual growth team at Saddleback wow okay so this is like can I have a multi-part answer? Uh, yeah, you can. Just I, I know. keep it concise. Keep it concise. <laughs> um, the people I get to serve with are amazing, and they challenge me to be a better version of me and to grow in my spiritual journey every day. But also um, the fact that we're all so committed to helping people grow in their relationship with Christ. And it's just exciting to be a part of a team that gets to do what we get to do here at Saddleback Church Mm. and to love our church family by helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus. Great, great answer. Most people might not know this. In fact, I don't think very many people at all know this. (laughs) You technically have been a part of the spiritual growth team longer than me and Jason have. Yeah, yeah. So There was like a short... (laughs) <laughs> little period there where Rob was made the spiritual, actually at the time was a spiritual maturity pastor. Right. And you guys were kind of put in touch before Jason and I even started. So Yeah, I was his very first volunteer. I had served for many years in women's and then, you know, I teach a class called Foundations and Foundations came over to the spiritual maturity team and so I came with it and so yeah so it was me and me and Rob and then yeah. I went on vacation and came back and these two young pastors had been hired and blam there's a whole team <laughs> <laughs> so yes I've been with it a while well I'm sure listeners you're just thinking what can I what can I give to Linda of value let me tell you this is a this is a gift that you can this is like a housewarming gift for Linda coming and be, being a part of doable discipleship uh Linda would love it if you would give Doable Discipleship a rating or a review yes. <laughs> in the iTunes, <laughs> in Apple Podcasts, uh, or on whatever app you use, whatever. But really, Apple Podcasts is the one that matters when it comes to ratings and reviews. So take a little time to do that. We got a new one recently that was really, really nice. Uh, I'm going to make a point to read that in uh, in next week's episode because it was a very sweet review that mm. just made me feel really good inside. That's awesome. Um, so we're glad that you're out there enjoying these episodes. And if you do enjoy them, take a little time. Give us a rating or a review. It really helps. Uh, we got a uh, great, great guest today. Uh, wrote a great book. We're going to get to that in just a second. But let's talk about who Trisha McCary Rhodes is, our guest for today. So Trisha specializes in helping others experience God's presence through practicing soul care. An adjunct professor for Fuller Theological Seminary and author of seven books, including the acclaimed The Soul at Rest, she's a practiced minister with over 40 years of experience. She's got a rich background in Christian spirituality and a PhD in leadership studies. Trisha draws from a broad spectrum to create life-giving tools that can make anybody's spiritual journey relevant and meaningful. And for the past few years, Trisha has focused on how our digital lives may be affecting our souls. To that end, her book, The Wired Soul, Finding Spiritual Balance in a Hyperconnected Age, reveals the brain science that shows what's happening and why we struggle to focus or just be still. Hmm. You can uh, learn all about Trisha and her books, her blog, lots of other great stuff at her website, which is soulatrest.com. We'll link that in the show notes so you can check that out. We're going to talk to Trisha and glean from her wisdom on this topic of finding spiritual rest and balance in a hyperconnected age, so do not go away. 
Trisha, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, this is going to be exciting. Can, can you start off just by telling us a little bit about yourself? And, and specifically, I want to hear about your passions. What are the things that really animate you and your work? Yeah, I, I really, um, I've been a follower of Jesus for a lot of decades, <laughs> and um, my passions really have revolved around um, knowing Him and helping other people uh, in their intimate journey with Him, and so I really love ancient writers about the spiritual life. I love to study about the soul and um, just help people uh, in that kind of journey. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's kind of one of the signature aspects of uh, the Wired Soul, which we'll be talking about today, right? Kind of a, a a mingling of what's new and also those ancient practices, which I know we'll get to in just a few minutes. Um, yeah. Anyway, great stuff. So what were the observations that inspired you to write the Wired Soul? Like what kind of drove you to sit down and actually put this in writing? Yeah, well, you know, I, I discipled and mentored my whole life, and um, I found, first of all, personally, I was sensing a greater uh, degree of fragmentation in my life and a lot of uh, difficulty with distraction, and um, and as I worked with people, you know, learning to be alone with Jesus has always been a challenge. It's not, mm-hmm. that's not a new challenge at all. But I noticed that even people who really wanted to just felt like they couldn't. Um, they were just, it was just getting harder and harder. And the, the, from seminary professors to students to people in our church, uh, people just did not practice things like solitude or, um, you know, reflection, meditation, those kinds of things. And uh, they just felt like they couldn't. Even prayer, you know, it had become yeah. something that was just such a small part of people's lives. And so, I I started reading, and I saw that educators and social scientists were all raising an alarm about this was the result of technology, but the church wasn't saying much, and so that's when I felt like, you know, I really needed to get into this and figure out what is this, what does this mean about our spiritual lives, and what is it we could do about it? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you did that. It's it's becoming an increasingly—it's an issue that we're starting to see more and more as a significant danger to, to to healthy human life, and mm-hmm. um, so the fact that you're presenting such a such a helpful and well-rounded approach to remedying that uh, is so so deeply needed. Now, I, it, it's really counterintuitive, and 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 I feel like I hear this said all the time. It's a little ironic that we see that you know the the generations that are most at home with the connective technologies that are at our fingertips today are the ones who seem to be suffering from it the most. You know, like we see these studies coming out that show that millennials are the loneliest generation alive today and that Gen Z is probably going to surpass them very, very soon once we start really doing studies on them. And um, and so it's so counterintuitive, but it seems like the more... uh, the more we dive into these connective technologies, the more in danger we are of feeling isolated and alone. How, how does that work? How can that be? <laughs> yeah, it does seem counterintuitive, but I this this came out a lot in the research. Uh, you know, one of the books that uh, was sobering to me was by a woman social scientist named Maggie, Maggie Jackson. Um, she it's called Distracted: The Erosion of Attention and the Coming Dark Age, and she kind of was 
predicting we were going to enter a new dark age uh, wow. because of mm. what was happening. Um, but she said, you know, cell phones had become like, and at this time, when she wrote the book, was probably eight years ago, they were like a, a limb. They had become to, to teenagers. Well, mm. now I'm thinking it's not just teenagers, it's everybody. It's like a limb. If you don't have it, you feel like you're missing a part of yourself. And right. so, uh, what that does is it's almost this addictive nature, which, we, by the way, we're addicted to food, too, and we have to have food. So I'm yeah. not saying <laughs> right. we, should, we shouldn't be addicted to our phones because we're going to be. But hmm. uh, it forces us into isolation because we just connect there or uh, a pseudo community. So I'll give a couple of examples um, that we can all relate to. I mean, there there was a time when I used to go to the gym and I'd go in the sauna and we would end up, whoever was there would end up talking to each other because what can you do in a sauna but, you know, sit there. And, <laughs> right. But now everybody comes in with their cell phones, and so mm. everybody's looking down at their cell So there's no connecting there. Mm. Um, and then the pseudo-relationship, last year we went on a sabbatical, and I took nine months off of social media. And um, it was really interesting to see how uh, – I felt like I had these relationships, but honestly, once there was no social media, there was no relationship. So wow. it really wasn't a relationship, yeah. a lot of them. I, I did have friends that I stayed connected with, but there's just that pseudo relationship idea. Um, and then we just can't communicate our hearts and our emotions digitally. So all of that adds, uh, I think, to this sense of isolation, this sense of, uh, you know, and all of us, I think, struggle with identity issues. And so when you can just zone in on your phone and cut off the world so that you don't have to face what you're feeling, this is what I think some of the things that have contributed to that sense of loneliness. And I think we all feel it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of almost leads into the next question. We're talking about millennials, but I'm part of the same generation you are where we didn't grow up with this. And yet we've yeah. been really impacted by it as well. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about how how has unchecked technology, I mean, even though we were the generation that came into it, we didn't start with it, but how has it affected yeah. your personal friendship with God? I mean, how has it affected you? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we're digital immigrants, as they say. Yes. Uh, so we actually know what it was like before technology um right and uh <laughs> there's not that many of us left I think. But, um i love technology i want to say that and I, I make that clear in the book I, I think it's amazing what we have the ability to do now and um i there's five or six different apps that i use at various times during my quiet time um but what I found uh, was happening to me, be even before I wrote the book, is that I had this underlying sense of anxiety. Mm. Even when I would go to prayer, I would sit, whereas I had always had to deal a little bit with distraction and kind of focus myself, but I got to where I couldn't really do that. And the idea of just being still and resting in God's presence, which I think mm -hmm. is you know, one of the most important spiritual disciplines we need desperately, I just found that more and more difficult. And so that, that I think that's where I had to start being very intentional about what, you know, can I use apps in my quiet time? If I do, what are my own internal rules going to be about that? Because yeah, they good. Can just, you know, mm -hmm. you can so easily jump to this text or that email or this, right. you know, notification, and then pretty soon you've, you've, you've lost it. 
Hmm. I, I I so appreciate that you that you because I'm I'm a little I'm on the older end of the millennial generation. I think I I think I just barely made it into millennials, but I I, okay. I think I'm more or less a a digital native. You know, I I, I remember like in middle school the internet was really kind of ramping up and you're starting to use it for school projects and stuff like that. And so there was, it kind of was growing from there, but you know, I, I love that you mentioned that just because these things can be, can be destructive doesn't mean that they're flat out bad or evil that we can't appreciate them or, uh, or use them in a healthy way. There's sometimes a, a, a picture of reality that Christians can sometimes buy into that anything that can be abused should never be used. And, you know, you made the you made the point perfectly about food. You know, it's possible to have a really toxic relationship with food, but you'll also die if you don't have it. (laughs) So there's it's like a two edged. And I think like so many things and uh, like so many things we see in the scriptures, especially when we read wisdom literature and things like that. It's so important for us to um, to have a balanced approach to everything that we used. Mm -hmm. I also liked your use of the term pseudo relationships. Uh, right, yeah. because it's just it's it's we we feel like we're connecting with people because we see their faces, we see their kids, we see their accomplishments, we see all the things, and yet it doesn't satisfy that thing in our hearts that craves right. that craves that genuine connection, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it it kind of tricks you in the moment to feeling like you're more connected than you actually are, and th- and yet you walk away still feeling extremely yeah. lonely, yep. or or maybe maybe it even amplifies that feeling for you because mm-hmm. you've. Now you've had to confront some things like, oh gosh, all my friends and their perfect lives, and you're now you're dealing with yeah. all those perceptions, which I think FOMO. have become, stere- yeah, the FOMO stereotypes and stuff, which aren't entirely false. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you you yeah. you talk in your book, uh, and I think this is what really gives your book a, a powerful edge. You talk about the uh, the findings of neuroscience and how yeah. the way that we're interacting with these technologies is actually changing the structures of our brains. Um, can you share yeah. a little bit about that and, and kind of w- what some of those major findings are, are teaching us? Yeah, and boy, the, they you know they say the brain is the next great map of the world. To you know, there's so mm. much to explore in the brain, and I've even read recently some things about they're they're beginning to believe that the way our brain gets rewired can actually affect DNA and coming generations. So it's mm, yeah. it's mm. pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. I'll I'll just share a few things that. Um, since we're talking about you were talking about the food issue and the and the and the phones, we we have to we know that um, neuroscience tells us that the things you do repeatedly lay these neural pathways in your brain, and that becomes what you are really. Mm, and right. So we are we are all addicted in some ways to our devices, especially our cell phones. Um, and so I think that's one of the ways uh, our brains have become rewired. And, and that leads us to, you know, Paul said, all things are lawful, but I'm not going to be dominated right. by anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the big question we have to ask is our brain been rewired to, to an extent that we don't have control anymore, that we, that they, that, that our devices are our masters rather than our servants. Mm. And, um, and so that's one of the ways. Another way is that, um, our, the internet in particular, but our phones, every all of the apps, everything put together, video games, um, it's wiring our brains for constant movement. Hmm. And so distraction is, uh, I think David Wells called it the affliction of our age. And of course it is it, with the hyperlinks, the dings, the pinks, the, the red mm-hmm. numbers, all these things yeah. constantly calling us to look to something else. So therefore, 
we are being wired to be distracted. Mm. And focus has become almost impossible for people, especially digital natives who never established patterns of focus before all this. They're born into this constant movement. Mm. Um, Surface skimming. The Internet is wants us to skim and jump to another thing. And so we're losing, because of the way our brains are being wired to just stay on the surface of things, mm. we're losing our capacity to think deeply. And that's probably the, the one that gives me the greatest grief, because mm. if we can't think deeply, how can we know the God of the universe, yeah. who is unknowable? You know, <laughs> We have yeah. to be able to go deep to, to really know him. Um, and then on the one more thing that's so important is just, and you mentioned it, is the relationships. We were born for relationship. We're mm-hmm. born, you know, our brains, there is no single brain. Your brain is made to interact with other brains. Your brain even will mirror what someone else is feeling in the neural pathways when, mm-hmm. you, when you're with somebody. So we are made for this, and, and we, but we're being shaped. We're supposed to be shaped by relationships with God and with others, but instead we're being shaped by our devices, Mm. Uh, the content on them, and then the practices we keep with them. That is shaping us, and that those are just some of the the things that neuroscience is showing us is happening as a result of technology. Yeah, gosh, it's, it's, and, and don't you think, I mean, as you look out on the horizon, it's probably, our technologies are probably going to continue to get more more addictive in the near future yeah. do you think i mean there there are entire industries that are predicated on creating applications and technologies that will that are built to draw and keep your attention so yeah. it's definitely going to be a dynamic balance yeah. for anybody who wants to you know regain some some control and um well as you say in the subtitle of your book spiritual balance in their lives um, they're yeah. going to have to keep moving. It's it's they're going to have to keep their feet yeah. moving because there's not going to be a spot where you can just say here I stand and and this is my place of balance. It's probably going to be a changing landscape, and we'll have to make make uh, frequent adjustments, don't you think? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I I when I wrote the book, I I wrote at the end of it. Uh, I'd never written a book that was outdated before I even, you know, sent it to the publisher, and, <laughs> right. and mine was, you know, and yeah. I, you know, I knew that, and now I'm realizing it, the fundamental truths in it are still true, but you're right, the challenges are, are only going to increase, and mm. as followers of Jesus who want to live uh, lives that represent him in this world, I think we are going to have to work a lot harder at, at finding that balance. Yeah. So you probably have some future books you're going to have to write, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that, you know, is just you guys are even just talking about, you know, things are constantly changing, but I loved that the solution that you provide and the antidote that you provide are really ancient practices that have been around forever and ever. And one of the things I was curious about are why these ancient practices are so powerful for 21st century people. I mean... They're just, they're so out of the norm of what we're used to dealing with, and yet they are extremely yeah. powerful. Yeah, well, this was one of the things that so um, surprised me when I did the research on neuroscience is a lot of the things they were recommending uh, and saying could rewire our brains in a positive way because our brains, there is a plasticity about our brains, so we sure. aren't stuck in something that we can't change. We can change it easily, actually, but... 
Um, but they were saying some of these things, and I said, well, boy, that sounds a lot like the spiritual practices that uh, have been in the in you know the church for centuries. Mm-hmm. So sure. uh, I think that that these practices like uh, meditation, contemplation, stillness, um, they have stood the test of time. They've been around since throughout Scripture from the very beginning. And I, I think in Jeremiah 6, 16, you know, God says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good mm, way is mm-hmm. and walk in it and find rest for your soul. Mm. And so that's what I'm all about is rest for our souls. So these ancient practices, um, they, they create space for God. And, yeah. and te- that's what technology robs us of. So they are a counterbalance to say, OK, I'm going to recapture that. Um, and then they actually can rewire our brains for focus, for attention, and that that's going to affect every area of our sure, lives, sure. Uh, our parenting, our marriages, our workplace. Um, these practices can actually make us more uh, better equipped to deal with the world we deal with every single day. Yeah, th- those these are ancient disciplines that have stood the test of immense lengths of time, and yeah. I, I, it's... It's it's to me it's a beautiful thing this idea that such an ancient way can be the antidote to such a modern problem. Yeah. I mean, to those who say the Bible yeah. is antiquated and all this stuff, it's like oh how silly you are if you think that. These are yeah. exactly yeah. the th- kinds of things that the modern person needs to connect with. I, I I think all the time about what a what a gift it is that that God offered us His written word in a sort of pre-technological time in human history. I mean, just as you said, you know, you write a book about technology today, and you could write a book about almost anything today. And because of the technological references in the book, it'll be out of date, you know, in 10 years' time. In 100 years, people won't even know what devices you're talking about. And what a a beautiful thing that God has delivered his word in a way that we'll we'll always know what these things are. We'll always understand these these uh, deep parts of the human soul that don't change despite the, t- the device that we happen to be holding in mm-hmm, our hands. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, love that you, so true. I love that you tap into the power of those. And, and, and speaking of those disciplines, you, you've kind of arranged those disciplines in your book around four categories and you use Latin words that I'm going to let you pronounce. Um, <laughs> but can you, can you just, just for a second, describe those four categories and each and why each of these types of disciplines or spiritual practices are so valuable for us today. Sure. So I took an ancient practice called Lectio Divina, which really just literally means divine reading. Um, it's a practice of inter- engaging with Scripture and with, with God, and it's, it's a very simple practice. But I took the categories it uses, because it's a four-step practice, and I took those, and I took each one and sort of framed my book around it. So the first one is Lectio. The first thing you do in Lectio Divina is you read. So you, I won't go through the Lectio practice, but I'll tell you why I talked about reading. So in this book, in the, the reading section, I try to help you deal with the fact that um, we're just so distracted because we're scanning and storing bits of information all the time as opposed to really taking in the world in which we live. So mm-hmm. in this section is all I talk I teach how to read actually slow reading there's a whole movement Mm. slow reading Uh, how to learn how to receive what you're reading because Mm. again these are practices that will shape your brain um, 
and so I teach, and then I teach you how to memorize. I teach you how to memorize scripture, for example, in larger quantities, because these are things that the neuroscientists are saying can actually uh, balance the the effects of technology. So that's the first section is um, reading, how to deal with this affliction of distraction uh, by slowing our, uh, you know, what they call monkey mind down uh, long Mm -hmm. enough to to really take in. So that's the first section. Um, The second one is meditatio or meditate. Uh, And in that, I really talk about our attention deficit. We all have attention deficit disorder now (laughs) because of of what's happened. And so I just really show that um, meditation, and and meditation is so biblical, and meditation, uh, Andrew Newberg, who is an agnostic, but he studied people who prayed and who meditated and he came up in his book, I think is something like, can God change your brain? Uh, because what he showed was that if you spent 12 minutes a day in these deeper meditative states, um, and he studied Christians and all different kinds, you could actually rewire your brain for attention so mm-hmm. that you'd be able to focus. And so I teach in the book how the, you know, the brain is the laboratory, I mean, meditation is the laboratory of the soul. That's where you get in with God and his word and you slow down and you go deep and your brain begins to learn to focus again, which it's, you know, being taken away every day. Mm, yeah. um, so that's the second section. The third section is oratio or pray, prayer. That's the third in, in Lectio Divina, you pray. Um, and so what I wrote about there is how are we inviting God into our digital lives? And I'm not just, you know, there's a lot of junk and and stuff that, you know, we're probably more prone to say, oh, yeah, I want to be sure God's in that. But I'm just talking about the time, the habits, the daily rituals. So I help take us through to say, what is it we're, we're being shaped by these habits? So what are these habits shaping us to become? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a great verse in Psalm 115 where it describes an idol who can see, has eyes that can't see, has ears that can't hear, and it goes on, and then it's made with hands. And then it says, but those who make them become like them. Mm -hmm. And really, that's exactly what happens. The neural pathways in our brain, whatever we focus on, that's what we become like. And so I kind of take us into the digital lives and say, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I take us into relationships at the same time, which we've talked about, so I won't go into that anymore. And then finally, the last uh, section is on contemplatio or contemplate. And a lot of people think contemplation is just going in a dark room and being alone. But really, contemplation is a way of being present in our world. Hmm. And it does require solitude, but the solitude then infuses us with God's love that enables us to go out and uh, live in this world as in the way that brings that peace and that beautiful presence of Jesus into everything we do. Hmm. So those are the four sections of the book, and they all have lots of um, you know practices and exercises to help you uh, embrace them. Yeah, and they're so, so helpful. Yeah, I as I was reading, um, I was actually kind of getting excited about 
the idea of maybe integrating and, and learning some of these practices myself and putting them into my own life. And so I'm just super excited about them. So thank you for that. But how did you first learn yeah. about these? I mean, they're not something that we typically talk about growing up in church. So how did you first yeah. learn about the practices and who helped you in the early stages of learning to understand and apply them? Yeah, well, you know, it, it began when I was 19 and uh, I was suffering a broken engagement, thought my life was over, and I had an older aunt, and she she just said to me one day, you need to fall in love with Jesus, and I had grown up in the church, but back then, nobody talked like that, just right. like you said, it just wasn't something that you ever heard, and, and it just, that just, that word just pierced deep in me, mm. and then she began to give me books by saints of old. Uh, like Madame Guyon sure. and Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and, and Francois Fenelon, all these ancient writers. And I I just cut my teeth on them. You know, I just sure. loved them. Um, and then as far as practically, though, I would say Richard Foster has been, you know, sure. probably one of the prime influences in my life because, of course, he walked this path way before uh, I did and has done it so well. Mm. Now, You've got a whole bunch of practices you outline in the book. I, I'm curious, which which of these practices do you gravitate to most effortlessly? Or I, I suppose I shouldn't say effortlessly because they all require some effort. But which ones do you yeah. gravitate to most naturally, and which ones uh, do you kind of struggle with and and uh, kind of wrestle with a little bit more? Uh, yeah, I think I I am a introvert actually, so I like solitude, and so those kinds of practices that. Uh, are done in the quiet, like meditation, contemplation, um, even the reading uh, and scripture memory. I love it. I just, I just thoroughly enjoy it. And so, those are some that are easier for me. Mm. I think the one I struggle most with is just being present to the world, mm. being in the mm-hmm. present moment, wherever I go, whatever I do, being in that moment, so that Jesus can can speak so he can move so he can use me however he wants so that I would say is it's the one I I struggle with most and I think I will all my life and Mm. um I work on the most (laughs) yeah have you seen uh have you seen some have you seen some kind of translating from your times of solitude silence and solitude and your ability to be more present in the world? Do you see those as interconnected practices? I do. I absolutely do. I I think it's almost impossible to uh, go into your day with that um, calmness hmm. and that reflective spirit if you haven't had some time to sort of gather yourself and um, and be with God. And then, of course, the neuroscience is showing your brain has to have that mm-hmm. in order for you to be able to uh, focus. And so one of our biggest struggle, one of our, you know, this I struggle with this more than ever because of digital technology. Um, and so I think just, that, you know, learning to be in that quiet place, that still place, that and it doesn't have to be every day. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there are ways that we need to uh, draw ourselves into those places yeah. uh, to, you know, rewire the brain. When we we do a treat a retreat here at Saddleback called a Silence and Solitude Retreat, and one of the one of the mm. things that we touch on there is is exactly what you're saying. This idea that if you if you make a habit out of silence and solitude, which I'm not saying that I've done a very good job of, but but I I, I hear in theory that when you make a good habit. 
uh, out of that of that practice of silence and solitude that kind of the goal is that you're of course going to continue to withdraw to times of silence and solitude but that that sort of spirit of calm and reflection and and contemplation and uh, sort of attunement to the world around you can sort of start to come with you I mean, wouldn't you say that's yeah. kind of the goal is to be transformed by that experience so that, you know, early on when you experience silence and solitude, it can be such a jarring and um, for some people just a really difficult experience because they're not used to being left yeah. alone with themselves. Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, time or, to hear their thoughts. Yeah, just them and God. And, mm-hmm. um, but over time, I, you know, I think the goal is to be transformed into the kind of person that can live with himself or herself at peace and um, able to sit at ease in those times with God and then to to begin bringing that uh, that sort of spirit and tone into the world just the way Jesus did. He withdrew often for times with his Father, and then he brought that kind of peace-giving spirit with him wherever he went. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like the, the whole idea of those practices is so that not only can you experience something, but so that you can sort of introduce introduce a little bit more of that into the world right mm. uh linda yeah, I, oh go ahead sorry go ahead no no please we were going to move on to the next question but i want to take time to oh, okay. hear what you want to say no, I, I just I, if you don't mind i'm going to take a minute here just to say you know i i feel like i i know how hard it is i have i have many decades of practicing um solitude and silence so i know um you know i, I but i teach uh, seminary students, and one of the courses they teach, I have to require them to put in 19 hours of solitude and six hours of journaling. Wow. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's over the course of the quarter, and so I show them different ways they can break it up, but I know how hard it is because I deal with it all the time. Yeah. And, um, but I just want to, you know, what I say to them, and I, I said this to a young woman just the other night, um, it is a, it is true. These practices transform us, and we want to be transformed. That's that's what our whole lives are about. But more importantly than that, I would say, is that we we are we've got to be so countercultural as followers of Jesus. We are created to know Him and be known by Him. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have a way to to make that happen in our lives, we just really aren't living out our destiny. Mm-hmm. And so what, this young woman the other night asked me, she said, you know, well, you know, why do you think it's so important? I said, it's life and death for me because wow. I, I cannot live without God pouring into me. And the longer I live, the more I realize I need him. You know, when mm-hmm. I was younger, I, I think I thought I could do a lot more. Now I understand <laughs> we are desperately in need of God pouring mm-hmm. into us. Mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. takes that space. We've got to give him that space. So that's my little, um, you know, soapbox that I, I get on. We <laughs> yeah. love it. No, that's love so it. good. Yeah. <laughs> so as, you know, as people are listening to this podcast and recognizing the science and yes, we need to, to step back maybe from technology, but you can't obviously avoid it altogether because it's part of life. Like we talked about at the beginning, I loved what you talked in the book about the prayerful awareness that you bring to your interactions with technology. Can you talk about prayerful awareness and what that might look like? Yeah. And, and like we've already said, it, it, it is easier if it flows out of Um, times with God, uh, whether it's in the morning or night or whatever, but um, 
I think it's just recognizing the wonder that we actually have this privilege of being the presence of Jesus, literally as if he were here. We have that privilege of bringing that to wherever we go. And Mm -hmm. so to really seek to live intentionally, I talk in the book about, you know, how to be present mentally, practicing the presence of people instead of our smartphones, um, pondering in taking the time to ponder as we, even in the grocery store in the line, you know, babies screaming and rather than just turning our back and getting offended, you know, just taking the time to ponder, why am I here? What am I doing? What does God have me here for? Mm. Um, and this, it takes a great discipline. I give a exercise in the book um, that I, I, I took from a businessman named Peter Bregman, um, who said, he, he tells people, he wrote a whole book on it, 18 minutes a day can change your life. And he basically mm-hmm. says five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. And then at the top of every hour during the day, eight times, you, you ask the question, am I doing what I want to be doing right now? Am I being the person I want to be right now. Wow. And so I kind of changed it and suggested we would maybe at the top of every hour, and you can use your smartphone for Yeah, I was going to say, there's you know, a technology that will help with that. <laughs> exactly. Set a little <laughs> reminder and ask yourself, am I being, Lord, am I being the person you want me to be right now? Hmm. Um, is there a way I could show your love right now? And just get in that habit that's of good. connecting. And at, at night, you, you just look back and take five minutes to say, how well did I do? And where did I miss it? And where did I see it? And then in the morning, just kind of setting that intention. So uh, those are some of the things I think we can do to bring that prayerful awareness. Well, I love what a I, I love what a low barrier to entry that practice represents. You know, it's it's just a couple minutes a day. Yeah. It's a simple reminder you set up on your phone. It's you know, it's it's one of those things you can start so simply, and then yeah. you know those practices can eventually layer and layer and layer and. Um, right. And that that process kind of can can continue from there. I, I'd love yeah. to hear some of the responses that you've you've heard about the book. What are some changes that you've seen in people who've read it and have engaged with these these practices that you discuss? Well, yeah, first, I want to say it, it is an uphill battle. Um, I hear that from everybody. Hmm. Um and, and it's getting more so. I also want to throw in here real quick, because I encounter this when I speak, um, that uh, my generation tends to think we're less um, engaged with technology. But when we talk about technology, TV is one of the biggest, uh, you know, acts we engage in. So uh, I, I'm including that in here. So it, what I found people, when I ask people, uh, how well they've done. Like I offer, a, you know, some digital detox um, kinds of things, and people really struggle. So that's been the yeah. main response. Mm-hmm. They just really struggle, yeah. uh, and yet it, it's produced hope. And I, one thing I would say for parents, especially, it, it is harder the longer you live in this. So to think that you have this opportunity with your children, who are very young. Um, the science is very clear. I, you know, for everything from they know that you know anyone under two really should not have very much screen time, including TV, because of the way it shapes the brain. Mm-hmm. But even uh, I think I share this in the book that you know Silicon Valley executives don't let their kids use iPads. They don't let right. their kids go to <laughs> schools that use technology. That should tell us something. So I've had parents come back to me. I do an exercise in the book. Um, 
called God-focused deep breathing. And I've had parents that are teaching their two- and three-year-olds how to do this when they get uptight and anxious, and they're learning that they can actually calm down just thinking Mm. about Jesus and breathing deeply. Uh, So, you know, those are some of the things. But I would say the overall response is people say, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Well, I mean, I can vouch for that. I mean, I'm raising two young kids now, and we're in the midst of that, of that, uh, you know, trying to find that balance of what's what's the right amount of technology, and the answer seems to be yeah. as little as possible, <laughs> and trying to balance that in a way that's that's realistic, um, yeah. and that, uh, uh, but is also future minded. You know, it, it it it's it's just so easy for I I think I'll speak to two groups here. But it's so easy for young parents to go to the easy thing, which is just like you know. Your 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 kid's tired and but it's not quite bedtime yet and 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 the drama is on is on is in full swing at home. It's just so easy to get out the iPad or sure. you know here here's yeah. YouTube kids or here you know here I'll just put a show on or that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But we've got to just stay future focused and just uh, yeah that that might give me a little bit of relief now or give them a little relief now, but it's not going to shape them in in the way that that I know is best. Mm-hmm. And I loved. Um, you know, there's a, you, you touched on something a minute ago that made me think of this. I can't remember what the point you were making, but, you know, there's a lot of, um, I, I see all the time, actually on Facebook, you see all these uh, kind of snarky posts of, you know, kind of older generation kind of, you know, barking at the younger generation for their, for, for how deeply they've become involved in technology. But I just sit there and yeah. kind of chuckle a little bit because I've seen the statistics. <laughs> and yeah. I know that baby boomers are some of the biggest content mm-hmm. consumers on the face of the earth yeah. online. That's and right. and I think, right. you know, so young, you know, the younger generation, you know, people like me who are raising young kids or, or maybe who aren't yet and are just personally consumed by technology need to hear this episode. But I think it's important for, yeah. for an older generation to hear this too because, uh, you know, when you when you... Some, you know, you kind of let yourself off the hook thinking, well, I remember a time where I was not using technology hardly at all. Right. Um, but kind of wipe that off the table for a minute and, and focus on here and now. Right. How are you using yeah. technology now? Because you may find that uh, what you remember of your kind of pre-technological life doesn't have a lot of bearing on those hours that you're spending on your phone here and now today. Right. Making up for lost time. So we've all got to really assess our use of technology. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, kind of put some of those preconceived notions or those those biases aside or generational biases and just say, what about me? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what yeah. do my interactions look like? And, you know, and just 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 yeah. dig in and start engaging these practices. Now, yeah, uh, totally agree. every time we do an episode of Doable, we end with the Doable section. And we, yeah. we try to just land things because sometimes we go to, uh, this has been a super practical episode, but oftentimes we like to go to these ethereal places, but we always want to bring it back down to something that is just simple actionable, something that a listener can do this week. So what's one simple doable step that you can think of that a listener can do this week to move a little closer to that state of spiritual balance? Yeah, that's, that's such a great um, idea. I love that. Um, I think I was thinking about this. I think um, that we need to, I'm going to call it a daily digital detox. Great. Um, Love that. Because there's, there's a lot of, um, emphasis like if you go online you see a lot of emphasis i have taking digital sabbaths which Mm -hmm. is like taking the whole day and i love that idea i think if if that's where you're at that's great but i actually think we need almost a daily accountability with with other people and with ourselves to say 
what is the what role are these devices having in my life? Mm-hmm. And um, and and to so therefore, if we just said, okay, I am going to set an intention to every day for this period of time at this time. It might change day to day, but for this amount of time, I would say no less than a half hour. Uh, I think an hour to an hour and a half would be great, where I will have no digital engagement. Mm, Um, And we can't always do that because, you know, our phones are our lifeline now to our families and everything. But if we can minimize it um, and be accountable with it, because you won't do it otherwise, and then... Mm -hmm really fill that time, use that time to connect with God and with other people. And I mean really connect, Yeah. Uh, not texting, not calling, not I mean, emailing, you know, literally uh, make a phone call or walk across the street or call somebody and say, can we have coffee? And we'll, by the way, when we do, our phones are staying out of sight. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the one thing I would say, because I don't think we, any of us, I agree with you completely, it's not a generational thing. I see it in my generation. None of us realize how controlled we have become by these things. And we really don't know what it's doing to our brains and therefore our spiritual capacities until we actually try to put it down. Yeah. So that, to me, would be the most doable, important thing to try at the beginning of this journey uh, with technology. I love it. Okay. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, a couple doables that I want to make sure we, we add on to that is there's a couple books you can buy. Uh, one <laughs> of them, of course, is The Wired Soul, which is the book we've been kind of focusing our attention on today, Finding Spiritual Balance in a Hyperconnected Age. Um, but I'd love for you to also share, you mentioned that you've got another book that uh, I think has just come out, The Soul at Rest, A 40-Day Journey into a Life of Prayer. Can you talk just a second about that? I'd love to hear what that's about. Yeah, that actually that book was the very first book I wrote, and then it's 25 years ago they let me rewrite it and update it, so that's All always right. nice. Uh, but it, what I would say is it's, it's a very thorough uh, book to help you begin to have this journey of intimacy with Jesus. It starts with, okay, when am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? What's, what's my little spot going to look like? You know, what do I need to have there? It mm. starts that simply, but it goes deeper with each chapter and it takes you into meditative prayer, listening prayer, recollected prayer, all the way through to the dark night of the soul. Mm. And then it ends with contemplation uh, so it really is a book, and most of the people who've been changed by it, uh, the, the common comment is it's my go-to book when I need to, to get refocused on my relationship with Jesus. So it's not a read once and put away. It's a kind of get in there, do some of the exercises, and then put it away and come back to it the next time you need some, some uh, inspiration to, to be with Jesus. Well, you're speaking our language. 40 days, 40 day things here at Saddleback. Oh, we're all about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to wrap up the episode without also mentioning your website. So listeners can go to soulatrest.com and they can learn about you and they can learn about uh, all the books and access all that information there. You've also got a blog there, I noticed, so they can check that out. Um, sure. So mm-hmm. we'd love for people to go and, go and uh, check out your uh, website there. Uh, Tricia, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and I I just appreciate getting a chance to share about these things that I feel so passionate about. Yeah, well, we'd love to have you on again soon. Absolutely. Listeners, thanks so much for uh, tuning in today, and as always, we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. 
If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.